Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10:30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. So the title of my message this morning is the ABCs of evangelism. So hopefully you've got a piece of paper or a notebook, something to, something to write with, something to take down some notes, because it's going to be that kind of teaching this morning. The ABCs of evangelism. Let me give, first of all, give you the definition, the legal and binding definition of evangelism, which is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. Now when I read that little line this week, I thought, well, you know, most of the folks under the sound of my voice, most of you have never or may never have an opportunity for public preaching. Unless, of course, you take your Bible and go out on the street corner and draw a crowd. Um, but personal witness, that speaks to each and every one of us. Amen? So I'm going to help you with that today. I want to build your faith. I want to challenge you in a number of areas. Um, when it comes to that whole personal witness process. Okay, that's all right. Our text comes out of Mark chapter 16 today, beginning in verse 15. And this is Jesus speaking. He's, and he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe, In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now, history records that this just wasn't a handful of followers. This wasn't the the 12. By this time, it would have only been maybe 11. It wasn't just a handful of his followers or his disciples, his mother and a couple other ladies, that kind of thing. History records that he spoke to over 500 people in this gathering So he wasn't just commissioning the staff, so to speak. He was commissioning everyone under the sound of his voice. And the fact that it's recorded in the Gospels tells me that he was commissioning everybody. Amen? So let me ask you a couple of questions here as we get this ball rolling here. What is it going to take for us, being people's church, to be the church that God has called us to be? Ever stop and think about that? What is our calling in the community? What is our calling on this corner? What is it going to take for us to be the church God has called us to be? 
Here's another thought. What is it going to take to grow the church in 2021? Because it's God's will that the church grow, healthy, thrive, people get saved, baptized, learn to serve in God's house. Amen? So it's easy for us to think, and I've been in church a long time, so when I talk about folks that have been around the church, I, yeah, spent my entire life in church. I don't know anything different. But sometimes it's easy to think that evangelism is somebody else's job. But in all reality, God has given you and me the responsibility of reaching our own neighbors, okay? Our own little corner of the world, so to speak. Or in modern day terms, our our circle of influence. Those people that we come in contact with every day, it's our job to evangelize them. And evangelism does not have to be scary, uh, intimidating. Uh, it shouldn't make you nervous. Um, here's a quote I read this week, and I just thought it summed it up kind of simple. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Isn't that great? How simple can that be? Let me say it again. Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. You stop and think about that. It, that's how simple it really is to share Jesus with somebody in your world. So I want to challenge you today. I'm going to give you four things to challenge you. And I'm going to ask you in this challenge, do you have these four things operating and functioning in your life? Okay. Number one is attitude. A for attitude. Now, I'm not talking about copping an attitude, okay? Let's clarify that right off the bat, okay? There's a little little saying that says, attitude determines your altitude. Attitude, what you possess inside of you and your outlook on life as a born-again believer will determine how you embrace that, will determine where you go in life, your altitude, where you where you end up, how far you reach, okay? Consider the contagious enthusiasm of the early church in the book of Acts. We're going to look at a number of passages in Acts today. You know, the Bible, you've heard me say it before, the Bible is our blueprint for for life, our roadmap. But if you really want to know what the modern-day church should look like, read the book of Acts. I encourage you this week in your devotion time, maybe delve into it a little deeper than we're going to do today. When the believers spilled out of the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem, the Bible says everyone there heard them in their own language. And as I look back in Acts chapter 2, I thought, well, I thought everybody in town kind of spoke the same language. Nope, that's not the case. I counted up the different dialects that were mentioned in Acts chapter 2, and there were approximately 18 that were recorded in history. I'm assuming there was a whole lot more than that going on, But the believers came out of the upper room. They had been filled with the Spirit. They were speaking in every different language you can imagine. But they were all saying the same thing. They were, the Bible says in verse 11, Acts 2 11, all of them were speaking about the mighty deeds of God. All different languages to all different kinds of people. One message. Okay. Talking about the mighty deeds of God. And their testimony just didn't stop with just speaking these words. Look at Acts 2.42 with me. 42-47, through they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the formula for the modern day church. Amen? This is the formula. They were taking care of one another, in other words. Um, I love that whole picture of community in this passage. Every day, they continued to meet together. Now, we only get together, well, we almost have a Zoom every day, don't we? If you add them up, we got, right now it's COVID and we're Zooming and, and, uh, so yeah, they met together. They just had to show up at somebody's house to do so. And it normally turned into some kind of Pentecostal potluck. So, yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah. I saw a little joke on Facebook this week and a lady was asking, well, how do I join the Baptist church? And the brother said, bring, bring a nine by 13 casserole dish and make sure it's full. So, yeah, Baptists are not the only ones that know how to have a good time, okay? Let me ask you another question. What would happen if the attitude of the early church and the believers was one of disharmony, disunity, self-centeredness, and leader bashing? Oh my goodness. Who do these apostles think they are, right? These apostles, they preach way too long. Are they serving fish again? Okay, do you think people would have jumped on the bandwagon, so to speak, or jumped at the chance to be part of a group like that? Absolutely not. I don't think there would be anything there that would attract them into this new group of believers. Let me share a little story with you. Uh, you know how I like my little stories. So let me share one with you that makes this point for me. Once upon a time, there was a woman named Ethel who went to church every week. And every week she was frustrated because her pastor refused to give an invitation at the end of service. Ethel felt it was important to invite people to walk forward and accept Christ, but the pastor wouldn't do it. So every Monday at work, her longtime friend Harriet would ask about her weekend, and every Monday Ethel complained about that hard-headed pastor of hers. He wouldn't know a good idea if it smacked him in the face, she muttered. One week Ethel suggested for the millionth time that the pastor give an invitation. He stopped and said, hmm, that might be a good idea. Ethel was completely shocked. He said, if you get someone to church who needs the Lord, then I will offer the invitation. Ethel couldn't wait for Monday to roll around. She marched up to her friend Harriet. Would you come to church with me this week? No, said Harriet. With a quizzical look, Ethel said, but you're my oldest And dearest friend, why not? Well, I'd do just about anything for you, Ethel, replied Harriet. But for two years I've been hearing what an imbecile your pastor is, and I will never go to church with you. Oh my. What kind of attitude do your friends and family pick up from you? Huh? Yikes. What a thought. Okay, I'll leave that one right there. Number two today, if you're taking notes, the letter B goes with the word boldness. 
The second ingredient necessary to capture the heart of the community is boldness. Acts chapter 5 is our reference here, 18 to 21. It says, They arrested the apostles, put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and their associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders, and sent to the jail for the apostles. I take it there were a couple left back at the jail. So he said, no, get them all here, get them all here. The reason why is people's lives were dramatically changed when the apostles demonstrated the power of the word of God. Even under arrest, under imprisonment, under the threat of death, these men still knew the importance of sharing this gospel. This was all kind of new to them, but they knew the importance. And then the church began to grow in Jerusalem. Remember what our passage just said, how they added to their numbers daily. They were given altar calls every day. Not only were they having a potluck, not only were they breaking bread, but hey, they were adding folks to the church daily. So the church began to grow. I would contend that the early believers were pretty bold. I mean, you couldn't hardly get past one of them without them telling you about this Jesus. Share an example of that with you uh, about boldness. I have an uncle who was a firefighter in Southern California for 40 years. It's my mom's younger brother and uh, just happens to be my favorite uncle. He's now retired to a little town over in Idaho called Hayden, Idaho. But he was telling me a while back about his early days in the fire department. He was in his early 20s and pretty on fire for God. And these firemen basically all live under the same roof for about 48 hours at a time. They all share a shift together, and then they get a break, and they go home, and they come back and do it again for another 48 hours. So on their last visit here, Jim was telling me this story that as he opened up about his relationship with God and what God had done in his life um, with his coworkers, with the other guys on his team and on his staff, he began to discover what he called a large group of top-secret Christians. He would witness to one guy, and the guy would say, Oh, yeah, I love Jesus. And my wife and I, we go to this little church over here in Orange County, or this one over here in Long Beach, or whatever. But he, he began to discover this entire top-secret Christians. And the problem with these guys is they were too bashful. They were too timid. They didn't know how to share their faith. And I think eventually Jim, over a 40-year period, was able to light a fire under their behinds and say, you know what? Don't be a top-secret Christian. Don't keep it hidden from everyone. You need some boldness. Step out and share Jesus with the folks around you. Amen? If we're going to capture the heart of the community, we have to have boldness. Acts 4.29 says this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen? Amen. I know that, you know, when we go to, we go to talk to someone about the Lord and about our faith and about salvation, sometimes, uh, we might break out in a sweat like we have the flu. Our knees might, might knock a little bit. We might, our hands might shake a little bit. But the bottom line is, is if we will push through that and believe God for boldness, we will help change somebody's life for the better. Amen? The church has to become the true lighthouse 
for people drowning in the storms of life. I thoroughly believe that. A couple more questions for you here. How do I know they're questions? Because I highlight them in blue so I know when I run up against them, oh, I'm asking a question here. That's what that big question mark means right at the beginning of the, of the sentence. If the church is not following the mandate of Jesus to go out and make disciples, then why should we believe that God will bless the church? We believe for it, we pray for it, we ask for it. But if we're not doing what God has mandated in His Word, what makes us believe that He will bless us accordingly? Or if we as individuals, here's my second question here, are not willing to be molded and used by God, then why do we pray that God will bless us? It's like standing and hitting our heads against a brick wall. If we're not willing to be shaped and molded and and God to have his way in our lives, so that when he prompts you to speak to somebody, that gas station attendant, well, that's if you're on the other side of the bridge. Um, over here, you got to pump your own gas. But on the other side of the bridge, they'll pump the gas for you. So what if you want to share your faith with that person? I remember as a kid growing up, Grace's dad, he would come to town and he might take us out for a meal. And he always had a gospel track in his pocket. You, any of you that know him personally, knew him personally, knew that And every place we ever went, John Maul never left the restaurant without placing something in the hand of that server. Not only was he giving her a tip, or him a tip, he was giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I was always just amazed by, he was so, he wasn't a loud and boisterous man. Well, till you got him in the prayer room. Then, then he could peel the paint off the walls. But his persona was not one of loud, hyper, Pentecostalism. He just shared the love of Jesus. I remember one time we were with him somewhere, and the track that he put out looked like a $20 bill. And back in those days, I can imagine what the server thought when they walked up to the table and saw a $20 bill laying on the table. This would have been in the 70s, early 80s kind of thing. And come to find out when you open that $20 bill, there's the gospel of Jesus Christ printed on the inside. What a, what a thought, Amen. So here's my thought. When a church loses its vision to reach the lost, I believe God's blessings are withheld. It's a sad state of affairs. But here's our hope. When the majority of the church are surrendered themselves to be used by God and say, yep, Lord, you can count on me. There's my show of hands. That's when we will begin to see great things take place in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Number three today, the letter C is for contact. The third ingredient that we have to have in our lives to capture the heart of the community is contact. Now, I believe the early church had a couple of advantages over us. Okay? First off, they didn't have church buildings. Okay? Now, that might not sound like much of an advantage, but they couldn't be contained and trapped in the four walls of a physical plant. Okay? North American churches have succumbed to kind of a fortress mentality. The bricks, the mortar, the wood, all the things that we put together to make a place. Now, don't get me wrong. I am grateful for a place. I'm grateful that we're not meeting out in the parking lot in the cold. But sometimes these things that we intended to provide this place of worship have, in effect, walled us in, 
kind of squeezed us all in to a point where our effectiveness to reach outside the four walls, it just dissipates. It just goes away. We get inside the four walls. It's warm. We're comfortable. And, we're, and we grin from ear to ear and everything's fine and dandy. But the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. The problem is the salt is still in the salt shaker. Amen? It's got to be spread around. It's got to be out there. The Bible says that we're the light of the world. And it should be put on a lampstand. It shouldn't be hidden under a bowl. Amen? Second advantage of the early church is they were scattered. Read Acts chapter 8. It says the believers were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, and they began to preach. They were being persecuted, but they still began to preach. In other words, they were literally forced into contact with other unbelievers. Sometimes in church, the opposite happens. We don't spend much time around unbelievers unless you're, unless you're on a job that takes you there. And some of you have jobs and places of employment where you have to go and you have to deal with people that are non-believers. They don't embrace the word. They don't embrace Jesus Christ like you do. And these folks were forced, probably for one of the first times in their lives, to do the same. Sometimes the longer we are Christians, the fewer friends we have that are non-Christians. You know, I looked at my own life. I'm like, wow, that's true. I don't have a lot of friends that are not believers because most of my friends are made in the church world. The early church was really something to watch, something to see, something to study out. Just a great, great group and good things going on. Here's a quote by Mark Blackwood. He's a friend of mine. He, he, uh, he's the leader of the Blackwood Brothers Quartet. And he says, the early church had no building. They had no money. They had no social media. And they had no political influence. Yet, they turned the world upside down for Jesus. Remember, this is before the days of cell phone, television, radio. They didn't have a radio program at the local station. They couldn't get on the internet and spread the gospel. It was just out them out there, pounding the pavement, preaching the word. Amen? They were in the world to change the world. That's what I'm trying to get at today for you. Jesus prayed these words in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 18. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Amen? He's sending each and every one of us, even a guy who leaves a sheltered life like me inside the four walls of the church. He's sending us out there. We need to be out there among the people. That's the bottom line. Ah, how about some more questions can I ask? How's that? If you're going to capture the heart of the community, how much contact do you have with the community? How well do you know your neighbors? I thought about in our own lives. We moved into this house. It's been a little over two years ago. And sometimes I can be kind of friendly and jovial and You know, kind of take after my dad on some days, and dad's never met a stranger in his life. He's always talking to somebody, doesn't matter where you're at, what store you're walking through, or street you're walking down. So I began to look at us, and and, uh, first I got acquainted with the the neighbors on the left-hand side of us. And as I began to ask them, they said, oh yeah, we go to the Seventh-day Church 
up in Battleground. I said, man, that's good for you. And so we got to talking about, they wanted to know what I did for a living. And I said, well, I'm an associate pastor down at People's Church, you know, Mill Plain and, and Andreessen. Oh, yeah, yeah, the big gold building. They knew all about us and where we were at and what we were doing and that kind of thing. So we got to talking about that. Then the neighbors on the other side, after I finished off with those neighbors, then a few days later, a few weeks later, I started talking to the neighbors on the right side of the house. Oh, yeah, we go to the Catholic church out in Brush Prairie, blah, da, 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 da. I knew right where it was at. I'd driven by there a bunch of times. And uh, they began to tell me about their involvement in their church and what they do. And I thought, hey, that's awesome. Now, some of you might think that Catholics can't be saved, but they can be saved. They can love Jesus. Some of my most on-fire Christian friends are Catholics and Mormons. And it just blows my mind because I kind of grew up in a Pentecostal setting being told that they can't find Jesus, there's no way. Baloney. I just, I just don't believe that. I believe that if a person has the desire in their heart to come to know Jesus Christ in a real way and a personal way, they will find him. I guarantee you. It doesn't matter the formality or the liturgy or whatever. Sure, we'd love them to, you know, not take some. I, one thing, my only gripe with the Catholics is they put Jesus on a cross and then they never took him off. They just leave him there. Every statue you see, Jesus is still hanging on the cross. And they've made a big deal out of Mary the Virgin, Virgin Mary, Mother Mary, you know, that kind of deal. But God still loves them. And he knows that there are people in those denominations that have a heart for God and that they're born again. So, And I believe that about my neighbors. Now, across the street from us, there's a couple of other couples, an older couple, and he and I talk Harleys. Um, but he's just a beer drinking, Harley riding heathen. And so he's my, he's my mission field. Okay. He is my mission field. I have not been able to break through to this guy, but, and then his wife never says a word. She just is quiet as a church mouse. And so getting to know them, uh, it's been a little tougher, a little harder. But if I see the garage door up and I see that Harley showing, all the chrome gleaming, I make my way over there and I bug him. I like to bug him a little. Hey, Ed, how you doing, man? What's going on? How's life? I know he works over in Portland. He hates the commute. And he's that close to retiring and he's just tickled pink about the possibilities. So there's my mission field. And then the other house, we had a young couple with three kids and mother-in-law. And they all moved into this big old house on the other side across the street. And they're kind of like, um, how do I describe them? They got a Black Lives Matter flying, uh, a flag flying off of the, um, the porch. Um, they have a gay flag flying off the porch. I don't know if anybody at the house is gay, but I don't think so. Um, I remember when the kid, when the kids started coming over and playing with Shalice, we, we had to write down the kids' names because they're so different that I think mom and dad are like young hippies. I think is that kind of what it boils down to, but I thought, now there's a mission field that, it's really going to take some stamina for me to go after these folks because they're really way out there. Um, and I, I don't think they know anything about God or believe in God or anything, just from the conversations that we've had. So how well do you know your neighbors is what I'm trying to get at. Do you know the people around you? Do you talk to them? If not, you need to make it a point to get out of your house, go next door, shake somebody's hand, take them a plate of brownies or cookies or something to break the ice. But there's a way to minister to these people. What community groups are you involved with? Anybody involved in any community groups outside the church? Pastor shared last week 
that he was a part of the Rotary Club. Was that in Roseburg? Okay. So he went to Rotary meetings. Now, there's got to be a few Christians in that room, but overall, there's got to be more more heathens than anything else. Just good business people in the community. But he chose to rub shoulders with them and to fellowship with them and to come together over a common cause. And I'm sure out of that, he was able to witness to people. Who are you? Well, I'm Larry Mulkey. I pastor out here at such and such a church. So I would venture to say that more times than not, he had an opportunity to shine the light, shake a little salt on the situation, and help others. You realize we, we, when you're a born-again believer, we have the answers, right? Not that we're all puffed up and high and mighty about it, but we have the answers right from the Word of God. We've received salvation, and those people need what we have. Amen? What steps are you taking to stay involved with the community? These are just challenge questions. To stay involved with the community around you. Okay? Number four today, letter D, goes along with the word desire. Perhaps the ingredient that we lack the most is desire. You know, when Jonah went to Nineveh, we all read the, we've all read the story of Jonah and the whale. Been taught that in Sunday school. But when Jonah went to Nineveh to preach, he, he fought God tooth and nail. I would say that he lacked desire in a big way. You know, he was able to hear God. He was able to preach the gospel. But did he have the desire to see people saved? And I read through those four chapters of Jonah this week as I use this as a reference. The entire city of of Nineveh was saved, the Bible says, which the Bible accounts as to being over 120,000 men and women. Okay? I'd say if you got a hundred and you preached a sermon and 120,000 got saved, I'd say you're having revival. Okay? I don't know where he was going to put them all, but Jonah was an odd duck. Jonah, the Bible says, I think in chapter three, first part of chapter four, Jonah went to the outskirts of town, sat on a rock and had a pity party. Okay? They all got saved. He delivered and he got upset about it. And I can't figure out quite what the deal was. He was so upset with the Ninevites that they all gave their heart to Jesus that he wanted to die. He, yeah. I'm going to encourage you this week. Okay. Read Jonah one, two, three, and four. But in, ver- in chapter four, verse three, verse eight, and nine, God's talking, having this conversation with Jonah. And Jonah's reply was, uh, I need to die. I just need to die. I need to get out of here. This has not been a good situation, and I just want to die. And he repeats this over and over again in in chapter 4. It's odd that Jonah had this great revival, and yet he wished that the Ninevites would have been destroyed rather than saved. I don't get that. I I mean, yeah, the belly of the whale thing, the stench, the weird trip that it was, being puked up on the... On the uh, on the shoreline and all of that stuff by the whale when the time came, that's got to be a little different. But hey, he was a knucklehead. He was being hard headed about it. But I want to ask you today. I don't I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like Jonah. I don't want to have to have God take me to the woodshed just to get me to respond to His call, His commands, His instructions. Amen. I want to know that when the Holy Spirit speaks to me in my heart, and I hear it in my head, heart and head, heart and head, that they're in tune with one another, and that for sure I am going to follow God's instruction and leading. And if he says, go witness to so-and-so, then I'm going to do so. 
How about you? How much do we care about capturing the heart of our community? Oh, there's another one of those blue questions again. How much do we really care? What is our desire there? Um, I'm going to share another story with you. Is it really that early? Wow. I'm down to my last page of notes. Wow. It's okay. As I get ready to read this story, I'm going to ask the musicians to come back because I asked Tiffany to lead us in a specific song at the end of this service. So as they come back and get in place, I'm going to read you this story. A pastor came to church, a very fancy church, in his torn jeans and a t-shirt one Sunday morning, and his hair was in a ponytail. He preached about how Christians get concerned about things that really don't matter, while not getting concerned about things that really do matter. And he preached the whole sermon, (coughs) excuse me, he preached the whole sermon without a word about his appearance. He talked about compassion for people in the community who are marginalized, who are disadvantaged, and about breaking the circles of comfort and security. Finally, at the end of the message, he said, Now some of you today have been getting more upset about my ponytail than you are about people not getting the gospel of Christ's love. The truth is, my ponytail doesn't matter, but people do. Eventually, I'm going to cut off my ponytail. But what are you going to do about your neighbors? It's a good question, amen? question is, is how much do you care? How deep is your desire to see your neighbors, your friends, your family members that are not saved, to see them come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Amen? Ask yourself that today. Prod yourself with the notes and the words from this message. These ABCs should challenge each and every one of us to be a disciple wherever we are. Wherever God has placed us in this world, in this life, then we need to be a disciple of Christ. Amen? To win others to Christ and to bring glory to God. If you're nervous about trying to speak to someone, go online and order some of those little gospel tracts like John Maul used to carry in his suit pocket and use that as, as a way to open the door of conversation or just to plant a seed and leave it and go from there and say, God, I planted the seed, now you water, you fertilize, you grow, and let him do the rest. Amen? Pray today, Father God, that as we have worshiped together and we have prayed together and we have shared this word together that... Lord, you would help us to get off the shelf and quit being top secret Christians and share our faith with those who are around us. Help us to be an encouragement to those who are desperately in need. Help us to bring the knowledge of a Savior who loves them to those, Father God, that are struggling, that are lost and dying in a world full of sin. Help us to be the salt of the earth as you've called us to be. Help us to be that light that you've called us to be, that they would come to know you. Give us boldness, Father God, I pray. Help our attitude when we struggle to share our faith. Give us boldness. Help us to be in contact. And most of all, Lord, plant that desire deep in our hearts 
to share you with others that are around us. We give you all the praise and all the thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Lord bless you guys today. Have a great week this week. Be safe. Stay healthy. And uh, we'll see you back here Sunday morning. Lord bless.